0: Chumba. Chumba Casino.com. Nobody says, by law Eighteen plus Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Part of the Over the Monster Network. Swinging a high D, driving the right field. That one's called to the right. Hunter on the move, racing back. It's over his head. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. Presented by SB Nation. It hasn't happened at Fenwick Park for 95 years. The Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. Here comes a 1-2 pitch. Red Sox win the World Series. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. Strikeouts in 2017 for Chris Sale. An absolute strikeout machine. 13 tonight against the Baltimore Orioles. They're all loaded. High fly ball. Deep in the left center field. Way it. back it carries. And that ball is gone! The Red Sox walk it off. In style. That's how it's done. The X-Man strikes. Fly ball to deep left center field. Devers has hit it out. The rookie takes Chapman the other way to tie the game.
2: Welcome back to the Over the Monster podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined... By Keaton DeRocher for this special emergency Mookie Betts trade edition of the podcast. Um, In addition to this one, we're still going to be bringing you your regular weekend one. But uh, obviously, this is a pretty big event, Keaton. So we're going to get right into it off the top. So um, the trade is as follows. Unless you've been living under a rock, you already know this. But (laughs) the Red Sox have traded Mookie Betts. And David Price to the Los Angeles Dodgers, along with uh, covering about half of the money owed to Price. Uh, in exchange for that, they have gotten back Alex Verdugo, young outfielder, 23 years old. Uh, they've also gotten back a 21-year-old pitcher from the Minnesota Twins named Bruce Star Gratterall, who uh, is a pretty highly ranked prospect, <coughs> and we're going to get into him well, <coughs> a little bit more. I have to apologize for my uh, cough on this. I have had the flu the last couple of weeks, so I'm still recovering from that. So I, I might be uh, leaning on you a little bit more on this podcast, Keaton. But something tells me that you're going to have plenty to say on this podcast anyway.
3: I <laughs> sure do. All
2: right. Uh, so let's get right into it. What was your initial reaction to the trade? Hated it.
3: Absolutely hated it. Um for all of the talk that we have had about it, um, I guess I still wasn't prepared and I ended up hating it a lot more than I thought. Uh, it really felt like a slap in the face from the ownership, who I've criticized in the past and am not happy about now. Uh, it just, everything about it, I just absolutely hated. I do not feel that they made a realistic attempt to sign Mookie Betts. And I think that they positioned themselves as best they could to trade him away and reduce the PR backlash as best they could, which judging by Twitter, I don't think they did a very good job. And it doesn't seem like I'm the only one that's upset about this. But a team like the Red Sox should not have an issue retaining their best players and I'm just so frustrated that this is – it's come down to this and he is no longer on the Red Sox. And they are waving the white flag on the um, – at least the next year uh, and not competing in 2020. And um, well, I mean, we have yet to see how long that will go forward. But um, I surprised myself by how frustrated and mad I was at it because, I mean, we've been talking about it since – Uh, I mean, really the beginning of spring training last year, right, is when we kind of started to talk about it. It didn't become like a weekly thing until much later in the year, but we started to talk about it last year. So it's not like it snuck up on us. Uh, We knew it was probably going to end up coming down, and I I don't know why I don't feel like I was prepared for it, but it happened, and I just immediately was so freaking frustrated and mad by it. And I don't know if it had to do with, um I guess the the overall structure of it because you essentially there I feel that the front or the Red Sox used Mookie as an anchor for a salary dump uh pairing him with David Price and Cash to get under the luxury tax which should not be a problem for a big market team like the Red Sox they should not let generational talents go and then that was what they did maybe that's why I was so frustrated with it instead of just them trading Mookie for prospects or something but I've I've outlined before that it would have been way easier for them to have a two-year plan. I didn't get the urgency of doing it now. If they had a two-year plan to reset the luxury tax, they could have re-signed Buki uh, and then got under next year, still have been competitive. Uh, We were constantly lied to by John Henry in the front office and what they wanted to do, even though it was plainly apparent that they wanted to trade Buki and reset um, when they didn't have to. So I, I think it was a combination of how the trade ended up going down and just being lied to by John Henry that just made me incredibly angry that now here's where we're at.
2: Interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, uh, as a fan of the Red Sox, I'm bummed out that Mookie Betts is no longer on the Red Sox. Um, that sucks. I mean, anytime you develop a, a talent like Mookie Betts, the – the aspiration and the dream is that that player plays for your team for as long as possible. Um, And hopefully you hang on to that guy, at least through his whole prime. And, you know, I was, I was definitely disappointed to see Mookie Betts go. Um, But also I guess my reaction um, was not anywhere close to as upset uh, as you are about the situation for me um, right off the bat. Um, I understand the team's position on why they moved on from Mookie Betts. Um, and, and I think it, first of all, for me, my my reasoning there starts with the fact that Betts has made it clear to everybody in the organization and really anybody who's ever asked him about free agency, that he is 100% going to free agency. Um, and he wasn't really open to the idea of, of signing a contract extension. So if you're the Red Sox, you have to weigh um, either keeping him through this upcoming 2020 season uh, and letting him walk for what would be the equivalent of either the fourth, a fourth or a fifth round pick. So it would be somewhere between those two rounds. Um, and also, you'd also be taking on significant Additional luxury tax penalties from being a third-time offender. Uh, if you weren't able to get under that tax, so I think first and foremost it starts with weighing uh, whether or not you would rather have Mookie for 2020 or have the prospects uh, that you could get back in a deal for him. So let's let's first start there, Keaton. Um, why do you think the Red Sox would have been better off keeping Mookie bets for 2020 than? trading him away. Well, I
3: disagree that they weren't going to be able to resign him. I mean, he wanted to be paid market value, and they didn't even come close to an offer that was market value. You could have avoided him going to free agency. He wanted to be paid market value to uh, keep salaries consistent for his fellow union uh, employees, whatever, other players, all of that junk. Uh, but you didn't even bother negotiating with him. So he, you offered you just the proverbial you as the Red Sox, not you specifically. The uh, Mookie, 10 and ten years, $300 million. He countered with uh, essentially what Trout's extension was, the 12-420. Uh, I think Trout's was 12-426 or 430, a lot. Basically the same, pretty much the same thing. And then that was it. The talks stopped but i mean you and i had talked several times that we figured it was probably like 10370 10380 that would get it done yeah which is right in the middle of where they went and then that it stopped so i mean you didn't negotiate so you didn't you didn't even give him the chance to come down from what that offer was or like negotiate and keep him at the market value and uh you offered him less than machado and less than Harper, who I think we both agree he's better than.
2: Well, less total money than Harper, but actually a far better deal. Harper got thirteen years for three hundred and thirty. The Mookie initial offer was ten and three hundred, so it's a much higher AAV than what than what Harper got. Um but I I wanna make it clear, like you know when that That offer to Mookie is reported to have happened, right?
3: Yeah, before last season.
2: Yeah. So it was before Harper had even signed his deal. It was, you know, it was, that was an an opening salvo of negotiations for the Red Sox. And to be fair to the team, we have no idea what negotiations have taken place since then or if they were even, you know, accepted that those discussions were even accepted by Mookie's uh, agents. Everything that I've seen coming out of all of the big national writers is that Mookie made it crystal clear. Every single person that I've read has said that Mookie has made it crystal clear that he was not interested in negotiating and that no matter who was in charge, he was going to free agency and the figure that he asked for Uh, In response to that, 12 and 420, that's a figure that you get when like 10 teams are bidding for your services and you are a free agent. That's not a figure that you get just from your home team, like right off the bat, a figure that you give. I mean, that's $120 million different than that opening offer from 2018. And I'm sure that the Red Sox would have been open to negotiating with him after that. It's crazy even for me to consider, that they didn't try and negotiate with him at all during 2019. Trout got
3: that from his team with no one negotiating and two years left on his deal. And that set the market for Mookie. And then you can even add in Machado and Harper to set the market even more. So his market value was
2: already set. (laughs) I think if you're... If you're thinking that he should get the same deal as Trout, then I think we fundamentally disagree about the type of player that Mookie Betts is. No, that's not he what I'm saying. Not, I'm, not get Trout money. I'm
3: saying his market value was already set and you didn't meet it. It's it, between what Harper and Trout
2: got, but we don't know that he wasn't offered like 10 and 370. We have no idea that he wasn't offered that. Like that's I don't I honestly don't. I think that that's Something that will forever remain an unknown. Just because we know the initial offer that the Red Sox made after 2018 doesn't mean we know every negotiation that's gone on between the two parties. So I I just think that it's it's not our you know we can't speculate I guess on whether or not those two sides just completely stopped exchanging figures because obviously that's how a negotiation works right Mookie asks for 420. Um, Red Sox offer 300 at the beginning, and if they are truly negotiating, they do meet somewhere in the middle. So one side or the other or both sides is responsible for shutting down those negotiations. And I don't think we really know which side it was that shut those negotiations down.
3: I think with as much posturing as the Red Sox were doing, um, essentially letting some of these offers out, So, and we know about two of them at least, And uh, essentially pinning it on in the beginning of the offseason, pinning whether or not they were going to be able to afford Mookie by if J.D. Martinez opted in or out. They were already setting themselves up to not be the bad guys if they had to trade him. And I think if they offered him something that was reasonable, like 10 and 370, 380, 360, whatever, in that range, we would know about it because they would want people to know about it. To basically force the PR that mostly came out against them today on Tamuki for wanting to go away from the team. Having offered them something (coughs) that I would think is rather, bless you,
2: rather reasonable. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm just not willing to speculate on whether or not they did that, but... You know, uh, aside from that, what we do have in public record are quotes from Mookie saying that it is a business and it doesn't matter who's in charge of the Red Sox, that he's intent on going to free agency. So we know that much more concretely than we know whatever the Red Sox offered post-2018.
3: And we also know that he wanted to stay.
2: Well, we don't know that. There's absolutely no way that we know that. We know that he wants the best possible contract. That's the only thing that we know about Mookie Betts. Jim Rice said today that he talked to Mookie twice and he said he wanted to stay with Boston. Of course he wants to stay if the money's right. But I don't think anybody had, would argue that Mookie was willing to take any sort of a hometown discount. He was 100% taking the best contract.
3: And there's no reason that shouldn't have been from Boston. And
2: didn't and have to wait until he got to free agency. So that's another piece of this. It still might be from Boston because the Red Sox were in a terrible financial position. Um, resetting in 2020 gives the team the best chance, in my opinion, to sign bets in 2021 because the financial situation was pretty messed up. So let's just look at it here. For the last two years in 2018 and 2019, Red Sox have had the highest payroll in baseball. They've had $239 million in 2018 and 243, which was a record for the Red Sox in 2019. Um, And those penalties are fairly harsh as well. And I think that, you know, we can talk about how rich the ownership is, but every single team in baseball, including the Yankees, who have been held up as an example this offseason, and the Dodgers, made it an effort to reset their payroll. So the Dodgers had the highest payroll in baseball in Many, many of the uh, the seasons before this, they had the highest payroll in baseball in 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017, before dipping under and resetting those penalties in 2018. And it should be known as well that the penalties for this repeat offender uh, got much more harsh after the 2016 season. So the 2017 collective bargaining agreement is when these penalties started to get extra harsh. So the very next year, the Dodgers reset that. The Yankees did the exact same thing after carrying the second highest payroll in baseball for four straight years from 2014 to 2017. They reset going with the sixth highest payroll in baseball in 2018 to reset those penalties. So the Red Sox had not reset since 2017 and were facing extremely steep penalties. And I think we were seeing the ramifications of those penalties right now with how they were acting in the marketplace. They were acting like they had no money to spend. Um, and I think a lot of this is put at the feet of the way that Dave Dombrowski conducted himself here um, and the way that ownership approved a lot of these terrible deals. I mean, I go back to look at how some of these things occurred and the things that really stand out is the terrible deals that were given out to Chris Sale and Nathan Evaldi after the 2018 season um, J.D. Martinez opting into his deal. I mean, all these things really hamstrung the Red Sox ability to even make a push for Mookie Betts while existing within this framework because it, it's, it's not something that you can just blow past in perpetuity. Um, the way that this current CBA is set up now for baseball teams – uh, it's acting more like a cap than it ever has before. And Alex Spear wrote an article on this, I think it was December 10th, um, outlining, yeah, it was December 10th, outlining all the potential penalties for the Red Sox if they don't get under the luxury tax for 2020, for this upcoming season. Uh, and he estimated that it would cost the Red Sox roughly $95 million extra million over the next three years if they didn't get under. Um, so I think if, if you need to point a finger to be angry at anybody, I don't think it's fair to say, oh, this ownership group is cheap or they don't spend. That's obviously not true. They've spent more than almost any other team in baseball over the time that they've been in ownership. But the way that they manage these salaries with the existing CBA made it almost impossible to make this happen. So my, my first
3: two thoughts are, one, it's frustrating to see a team like the Red Sox act this way when their rival spent over $300 million in luxury tax penalties from 2001 to 2014, didn't bat an eye. It's just makes me
2: are you feel like, Are you referencing the Yankees?
3: Yes, I am. Sorry, I, did not, I didn't realize I forgot to say that. The New York Yankees, that's the team that did that, didn't bat an eye. It just It's frustrating and makes me feel like this is the reason why we continue to finish second. The other piece of that is it comes back to a moment that we talked about in at length on one of the previous pods that John Henry, as soon as the Red Sox won the World Series, said minutes later he knew that he and Dombrowski were not on the same page when after the, they won the World Series in 2018, his immediate thought was, okay, now we need to begin shedding salary immediately, and then signed off on the contracts of Evaldi and Sale. And if the direction that he wanted to take the team as owner was completely different than what the GM wanted, then Dombrowski shouldn't have been the GM in 2019 at all. And they shouldn't have signed those contracts. And to me, this falls squarely on the ownership. And I know the optics, I mean, the way that they ended up parting ways with Dombrowski wasn't great anyway. But, uh, and the optics of parting ways with a World Series winning GM right after he won the World Series aren't great anyway. But if they're all, if you do completely disagree with the way the direction of the team should go, then I mean, something, you can't just ride along with it and just say, well, I don't know, maybe something will change. And then sign off on letting Dombrowski spend big on contracts and then try and use him as a scapegoat for. Well, now we can't sign Mookie because even though we disagreed with what Dombrowski wanted to do, we let him do it anyway. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. Why? If you disagreed with what he was going to do, why did you let him do it? I don't understand that.
2: And yeah, I, I mean, know- I, I think that that's fair to criticize ownership for is is signing off on that. And I think a lot of people uh, at the time that those Chris Sale deals, the Ivaldi deal, and the... Uh, Even the Bogarts extension, which I think we all agree is just an amazing deal. The bogey extension is great. But, you know, a lot of people thought, okay, uh, Dave is signing the guys he knows he can sign because Mookie had already rejected one of their proposals at that time. So I think that there were some people that were making that argument that they're viewing this guy already as somebody who doesn't want to play ball. Um, So – I think that these negotiations between the two sides. um, I don't really think that there was ever a connection, Um, and that's it's hard to pinpoint exactly why. (coughs) You know, I don't. I I really have a lot of trouble with the idea that this ownership group would balk at trying to pay Mookie Betts because they've paid so many other guys in their tenure here. I mean, just looking at it right now, they've paid the luxury tax here in 10 of the 17 seasons they've owned the team. You know, we've seen them sign marquee free agent after marquee free agent. I mean, the deal that they gave David Price was huge. I mean, they were bidding against themselves to get David Price because reportedly he wanted to go to... St. Louis rather than Boston. So they blew him out of the water with an offer. I mean, they haven't shown any willingness to be cheap. They've ran payrolls that on average are either the first or second highest in the game, basically since they've been here. So I have trouble with this narrative that the ownership group is somehow cheap. But so why
3: stop now? Why stop at a generational talent like Mookie Betts? So you've spent big on, other players, but it stops at Mookie?
2: Well, so I think that there's a couple things at play there, right? They obviously turned a blind eye to Dave Dombrowski's spending habits, which is the wrong thing to do leading up to Mookie Betts approaching this point in his arbitration, where it's going to have to be you either try and sign him to a contract extension or you probably trade him like they did to get some prospects. Um, I think that they screwed up with their their management of that uh, luxury tax situation. They spent recklessly on players that, at the time, I didn't agree with the sale signing. I hated it. I hated the Uvalde signing. I mean, it, it, it seemed stupid. But also, it takes two sides to negotiate, and we've been hearing this the entire time, and I just don't think that people are giving this enough credit. I really don't think that Mookie Betts had any interest in signing an extension. It is not in his interest, to sign an extension. It is in his interest to have every team in Major League Baseball bid for his services. That's how he's going to get the best deal. It really is. So that's why he asked for something that I think he knew no team would give him pre-free agency. And I don't feel like the Red Sox would have been responsible in the situation that they're in right now. Heim Bloom is the one making the calls at this point. You can blame ownership for what they allowed Dombrowski to do But from Heim Bloom's perspective, if he was to sign Mookie to a $420 million deal, pushing the luxury tax threshold past the third threshold right now, they would essentially start forfeiting all of their revenue sharing. And they'd be in an awful financial situation moving forward, one that was completely untenable.
3: I don't necessarily think it was untenable. I still think he would have been able to reset in a year.
2: Not if you sign Mookie to that deal, absolutely not, because you'd still have Price on the books too.
3: Yeah, I mean you're not taking Price off all that much, and you would so you'd be increasing Mookie seven eight million dollars AAV to the luxury tax. I mean that's not that much, and you'd be. I I think that it would even it would be easier to move David Price at the deadline. 2021 and you have until the end of the year to get under the luxury tax with a year and a half left on his deal to a team that's fighting for the playoffs kind of exactly like the Astros acquiring Greinke. If he has a year and a half left on his deal, it's much more palatable for teams to take a shot at him, especially teams that like are lacking a pitcher, uh, making a run at a title. Um, I guess Maybe the looming CBA negotiations might make that a little bit more difficult. But with a year and a half left on his deal, and you still have until the end of the year to get under, I think it would be a hell of a lot easier to move David Price than trying to move him now with three years left on his deal.
2: If David Price pitches well, I think it would be a lot easier to move move him at the deadline. I think no one would disagree with that, but that's – at David Price's – at this juncture of David Price's career, I think that's a huge risk um, to wait while you could package him now. And to be honest, Keaton, I, I fully believe that the Red Sox are in a better position to sign Mookie Betts now than they were if they had kept him or signed him. Like if they if they had kept him and allowed him to walk. So let's just say – whatever they get to in their negotiations between now and the time when he walks at the end of 2020. uh, If, if he was able to walk, they would be in a much worse financial position to offer the biggest, best deal possible and still fight to keep other guys who are coming up. Guys like Rafael Devers, guys like Benintendi. If they want to keep him, Eduardo Rodriguez is going to be a free agent at some point. They've basically what they've done is they've put themselves in the exact same boat as other teams to sign Mookie Bets at the end of this season, except now they're a full $20 million under the first luxury tax threshold and all of their penalties reset. And instead of being at the point where they'd be giving up 75% of their revenue sharing income, which is not insignificant, now they're back to getting all of their revenue sharing. You know, so it's. I mean, the the penalties are not insignificant financially, uh, and all of a sudden things look so much cleaner, and they're out from under what's a really bad price contract. I mean, I, I don't think you'd argue that that the price contract is a good one.
3: No, I wouldn't argue that, and I don't think that he had lived up to it. But I mean, we can look at the team. I mean, that kind of brings up. Um, I don't know if we want to start talking about what this does to the Red Sox for twenty twenty and beyond. But um the pitching rotation's terrible. <laughs> it's pretty bad. I'm not really looking forward to that. Um unless they have other moves up their sleeves, but at this point in the off season I don't really know. Taiwan Walker this is like the only one out there. And then just showcase he topped out at eighty eight. I don't feel great about that.
2: Yeah, I mean, the the list of free agent starters for that potential fifth spot that's now open on the Red Sox roster is like Andrew Kashner, Jason Vargas, Aaron Sanchez, Colin McHugh, old pe- old friend Clay Buchholz. Uh, you know, it's it's not a precast. You're absolutely right. I mean, there's, there's no question in my mind that this baseball team is worse in 2020 than they were going to be had they kept Bookie Betts. So I guess,
3: let me ask you this. Yes. What did you see the Red Sox doing in 2020? Did you see them as a playoff team, potential World Series contender?
2: No. And that goes into my thinking about this whole deal in the first place. So I actually don't think the Red Sox are in a very different position today in regards to the playoffs as they were before the Mookie Betts trade because I still view the same teams that were ahead of them before this trade as being ahead of them. So right now I'm looking at the Zips projections for the current uh, Red Sox team Um, and they're behind Astros, Dodgers, Yankees, Angels, and Twins in terms of total team war calculated. Um, About the only team that I think that they would have been ahead of on that list in terms of war, is maybe maybe the Angels, although the Angels just improved. I think they're still firmly in that grouping of teams that are gonna be fighting for an AL wild card with bets in price or without bets in price. I think they're still in that conversation. Is that and th- that's part of why I don't have as big of a problem with them taking this step back. Is that trade adjusted already? I believe it is, yeah.
3: Oh that was quick yeah um man that is way more optimistic than i am i don't think toronto's gonna finish ahead of them
1: i'm victoria cash thanks for calling the lucky land hotline if you feel like you do the same thing every day press one if you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes press two At LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. BGW group. were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Oh, wow.
2: I mean, I see, that's – I mean, I look at this roster still, Keaton. And I look – Alex Verdugo leading off for this team. We haven't even talked about him yet, but he's a really accomplished young hitter. Followed by Devers, Bogarts, J.D. Martinez, Benintendi, Chavis, Moreland, Vasquez, and JBJ. That's still a really good lineup. That projects right now on these depth charts. Um, they project as having a top one, two, three, four, five offense in all of baseball still with that current lineup.
3: I just, the pitching, I just, I don't know what the hell's going on with the pitching, man. I, okay. I think the offense has the ability to score five, six runs a night.
2: And I think they're going to have to. I'm with you on the pitching. Okay. But I, just don't view David Price as the same degree of loss as a lot of people. I mean, David Price has averaged 119 innings over the last three seasons. And while he's been healthy, he's been really effective. But I think more hinges on their performance on the health of Chris Sale – if Erod can repeat, if they can get anything out of Nathan Eovaldi, I mean, those guys are incredibly important too. And it's not like the pitching came through last year. The pitching was an absolute dumpster fire. We forget that this team with Mookie Betts last year was an 84 win team. This was not a good team. And it was not a good team because the pitching performed far below expectations. Right. So that's my point though. Now Mookie isn't there. And you still think they're going to win 84 to 90 games? Well, let's let's take an optimistic view here. If Chris Sale, Erod, and Eovaldi all perform to expectations and you get something out of Martin Perez, that pitching will be a way better unit than the pitching from last year. Um, if we take a pessimistic view, if we get an injured Chris Sale, we get an Erod that doesn't repeat what he did last year, we get nothing out of Evaldi and Martin Perez sucks again, um, then this team's going to be bad. This team's probably going to be like a high 70s win team. But I do th- still think that the ceiling of this team is that of a wild card playoff team. I still think they're going to be behind in the division to teams like the Yankees and teams like the Rays. I still think they have a better team than, than, than the Blue Jays. Um, but more importantly, I think a big reason why Bloom looked at this financial situation and he looked at the calculus of the roster and decided he had to make this move is because Let's just say they fail in their negotiations for Mookie Betts. They decide to keep him for 2020. Um, They make the wild card. Mookie walks in free agency. They're getting the 75th pick back as compensation for Mookie Betts, and they literally have nothing, nothing coming in the pipeline. Now they have five years of a 23-year-old young outfielder and Alex Verdugo, who's a really good player. With back issues. Sure. I mean, he had one back issue. Um, and reportedly he's going to be fine for opening day. And he was worth almost three war last year. He was worth actually a little over three war, according to baseball reference in his first, like not even full season as a player. He's a really good player. Okay. He's a top 20 prospect in all of baseball. And then you have this young kid, Bruce star who has stuff that is absolutely insane. He might be a starter. He might be a reliever. We don't know with him. But you're controlling those two players now. You have five seasons out of Verdugo. You have six seasons out of Gratterall. And you reset your financial position so you can make a run at bets. And in earnest, your team looks a lot healthier with your ability to do that at that point with a, a, a better financial situation. In a, in a year that I think we would both say that even with bets, there were significant question marks about what their World Series chances were in 2020.
3: Yeah, I would agree with that. But I would think uh, I thought – with bless you again. I thought Ratt, with – Cough. Oh, well, it's not like a <laughs> sneeze. <laughs> well, I take my blessings back. I think – I thought that with a healthy pitching rotation and Mookie Betts that they were a World Series contender. Um, I thought that they were probably with the Astros in like a tie for third behind – the Dodgers and the Yankees if I was listing World Series contenders out but obviously the health of the pitching staff is, was the biggest question and still is the biggest question and i think you're right maybe at, at it, if everything pans out who do you think the fifth starter is do you think it's Bruce Dar do
2: you think it Brian Johnson's back I think there's a good chance that the fifth starter is one of those free agents that's still out there right now. I have a feeling that they're probably going to want to start all in the minor leagues. Um, I'd be surprised if he won the fifth starter job right out of camp.
3: That would be too. Yeah.
2: Because it seems <sighs> like they need a, he needs a little bit of seasoning. Um, although, you know, we haven't even talked about him yet, but the The package that he offers is really enticing. This kid's 21 years old. Um, I've heard Sergio Romo on the radio talking about his stuff a bunch of times, and he's just in awe of his stuff. He has a bowling ball sinker that gets up to about 103 miles an hour. He has great control. He's got a wipeout slider. Uh, about the only thing he's still working on is the feel and his changeup and durability questions. I mean, he's still young. He hasn't thrown a ton of innings. He's already had Tommy John surgery before. He had a little bit of shoulder soreness last year as well. Um, but the potential for this kid is, you know, top of the rotation upside if he can develop <coughs> that third pitch. And if not, I mean, you're looking at a absolutely devastating closer.
3: Yep. Which is <sighs> also something that we have wanted them to have. Although yeah. I guess I'm glad they didn't do anything – with regards to that, I'm fine with Workman being the closer for this team now. <laughs>
2: yeah, me too. Um, and it is worth noting our own Jake Kostick at uh, OTM uh, did a little write-up on Gratterall today. And one of the things that he analyzed was his microscopically low uh, home run rate, which is something you really like in a closer or late inning reliever. I mean, a guy who's not going to let the ball out of the park. Um I mean, that that bowling ball sinker, no one lifts it. So I think his home run rate was about 4% last year. So just really impressive. Um, he's an exciting talent. And I mean, we, we haven't talked about Verdugo either. Mookie Betts has averaged about 6.4 war per season, uh, which obviously, I mean, no one's going to come in and fill the shoes of Mookie Betts. But the fact that Verdugo, in his small sample size last year, Actually, not that small. I mean, 377 plate appearances. He batted 294, 342, 475 with a 114 WRC plus striking out just 13% of the time. And he's a plus fielder in every single outfield position. Um, He would slide right into right field. He used to be a pitcher. Kid throws 95 miles an hour from the outfield. I mean, he's a very good player and someone who you could conceivably see putting up Three and a half to five war season right off the bat, given yeah, regular playing time.
3: I could. I mean, we've talked about Verdugo on Dynasty's Child a few times as a guy that I really like. And I don't mean to, if I have made it sound like I hate Brewstar and Verdugo, I don't. I think they're both intriguing pieces. I just would rather have Mookie, that's all.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's that's a fair stance to take. At the end of the day though, it's just it's hard for me not to give this ownership group the benefit of the doubt when all that's happened since they've been here is four world series titles, which over that span is I think tops in all of baseball. Um I think t- maybe tied with the Giants. No, I think it's one more than the Giants in that span. Um and they've like I said I mean they've spent to the limit. And they've gotten key free agents and they've made big trades and they've ponied up. I mean it's really tough to fault this ownership group. Did they screw things up with John Lester? Yes, but I don't think this is the Lester situation. I don't think this is like some gross, you know, miscalculation here. I think that bets in the team never got on the same page and Dombrowski spent like a drunken sailor and they let him do that. And he rewarded them with the 2018 world series, Um, you know, with, without his contributions, that probably doesn't happen, but it doesn't mean that he didn't leave things in complete financial disarray. And I think it further complicated things because remember when Dave Dombrowski was hired, that was pre the most recent CBA agreement, which, is significantly harsher on teams like the the Yankees, Dodgers, and Red Sox. And we saw, I mean, looking at the Yankees payroll, it was number one from 2002 all the way to 2013, and then it was number two through 2017 before dropping all the way down to sixth with this new CBA. Um, these big market teams are now making it a regular part of their business operation to dip under that That luxury tax line, that first luxury tax line to reset every three years. And I think that's the new normal because of how punitive these penalties are now.
3: Yeah, and also, as we know, uh, I am very cynical and critical of the front office and the ownership. And I find it hard to give them the benefit of the doubt. That's what makes us such a great pair. (laughs)
2: Let me ask you, Keaton, though. (laughs) But, like, it's hard. It's really hard for me to complain as a Red Sox fan uh, about what we've had under this 18 years of Red Sox ownership. I mean, we went from no World Series in 86 years to four of them. What's your big gripe with this ownership group?
3: It's, I mean,. I can be frustrated with how they hand on themselves and conduct their business and still be happy that we've won World Series like forcing out Theo in a gorilla costume. Not a great look. Like, I mean, you can be better than that. I mean, how they handled... uh, I mean, Ben Charrington was a GM, but it was essentially a puppet for John Henry. Kind of knew that. Then you bring in Dombrowski and massive swings with how you manage the team based on Uh, PR and public perception instead of creating a plan for the team and sticking to it. Uh, I just think there are stronger ways to run a team, but they obviously have been successful the way they've been doing it. I mean, I can be happy with the World Series and still wish they were... Specific things that they've done that I wish they had done differently.
2: I think you're you're <clears throat> spot on with the fact that they don't always handle things in the most nuanced way, right? Like, yeah. obviously, Lucino clearly was a problem in the way he dealt with Theo. But also, Luchino probably pushed Theo positively in different ways um, to succeed. I think that clearly...
3: Did. I mean, they brought him from San Diego in the first place, so they clearly saw something in him in the beginning.
2: Yeah. And they just kind of put a cap on him, which I don't think they should have done. And then the the thing with Dave Dombrowski is, I mean, we were incredibly frustrated as a fan base. At least I I am speaking for myself, um, going back to the, the Charrington days with just how ridiculously conservative he was. And when Dave Dombrowski got here, I mean, the dude did what he advertises. And there were no surprises. We knew what he did in Detroit And he came in here and he cashed in chips and he made the correct trades. And he turned a a strong farm system into a 2018 World Series team, which we'll remember for all time for how dominant it is. And I don't think you get that World Series if Charrington stays here the whole time.
3: No, I don't think you do either. And I think part of what I think uh, Dombrowski's effect on the team gets emphasized with they had penalties on their... Uh, domestic draft picks and their international draft picks and then they had the unfortunate event of their top international signee one year unfortunately passed which obviously makes things worse so they he had a great farm system he turned it into a World Series and wasn't able to replenish it because of just restrictions on him like he couldn't he physically couldn't it's not like he tried and failed he literally couldn't which makes it seem worse
2: yeah I mean I agree I, I think overall, we've had it very good as a fan base. I think it sucks that Mookie's gone. Um, I think there are a myriad of reasons why he's gone. I don't think that it's... Let me just say this. I think that the way that it's playing out in public perception is that it's 100% on the ownership. And I don't I don't put it that way. I think that there's so much nuance to this. I think that there's... There's a give-and-take that was going on with how much freedom they gave Dombrowski. Obviously, I don't agree with a lot of those deals, but Dombrowski (coughs) did contribute to that huge World Series. Um, So I think we take that. But at the end of the day, Mookie Betts is walking out that door, and two guys who we hope someday can contribute even close to that are walking in and – the team is in a better financial situation moving forward. And I think most people would agree with a clean balance sheet. The Red Sox are setting themselves up to be competitive in the future. And we have a whole history of this team being willing to spend, but it doesn't take away this thing that Mookie Betts is no longer on this team.
3: It doesn't. And I was taking a brief look at free agents, um, for 2021, um, and it is really only Mookie bets.
2: Yeah, it's not a great class. I mean, it's, it's a like class. JT Realmudo, <coughs> Marcelo Zuna, um, Bradley, possibly
3: JD Martinez, possibly Giancarlo Stanton. They both have opt-outs.
2: Yep, George Springer as well. Uh, Nick Castellanos, Robbie Ray, Marcus Stroman, Trevor Bauer. There are some interesting arms. Um, excuse me it's really not until 2022 that we start seeing some really interesting hitters Uh, in 2022 it's anthony rizzo it's freddie freeman it's nolan arenado with an opt-out it's chris bryant and then a absolute poopoo platter of elite shortstops lindor javi baez carlos correa um, kyle seager trevor story uh, Conforto in the outfield, and then a bunch of nasty arms: Syndergaard, Kershaw, Scherzer, Verlander, Greinke. Um Yeah, I mean, twenty twenty one, it's bets and a bunch of dudes. Twenty twenty two, there's a lot of stuff going on. Does so this
3: have two thousand twelve vibes to you? This team it to me. Well, just the whole situation, uh, like uh, punto salary.
2: punto trade vibes.
3: Yeah, there's a massive salary dump to the Dodgers. Um I hope that the team does not finish in last. <laughs> but um and then who knows, maybe twenty twenty two World Series? Year year
2: after. It you know what? I uh I guess I remain more optimistic than I was in twenty twelve. I think we still had some guys uh, after that trade went down, but it was really that amazing cocktail of free agents that was brought in in 2013 that, like, was the zeitgeist that kind of they captured in order to win that World Series in sort of a, a very improbable way, and you know, getting extra out of Poppy and you know Lester and you know all those <clears throat> kind of. Last hurrah type free agent guys. Right now, I still look at this Red Sox team, and I really like a lot of what I see. I mean, just looking at the the roster right now, um, Devers. I mean, you just dream on Devers's bat still, and and what he can be for this team. Bogarts is just squarely in his prime and signed to a super reasonable deal um I really like Verdugo. I think that Andrew Benintendi is going to have a huge bounce back. So I still look at this team and I absolutely love the core of the of the team and I think that there's plenty of dangerous hitters there for them to be able to supplement around this and still field a plenty dangerous lineup. I mean, we haven't seen the best from Devers. We're we're going to see better and I do think that it's possible that uh Genie Martinez decides to walk after this season because he has another opt-out and he might think that there's a better ah, situation out there for him.
3: That was something I wanted to talk about too, which, I mean, you basically just kind of said the same thing I was going to say, but it feels like if this team, if the pitching ends up being a black hole again and say they are like a 77-win team, it feels like JD's definitely gone, right? Because he's not going to mm-hmm. wait around.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think after this year, it's likely Moreland, JBJ – and JD Martinez are all gone, and then you're focusing on the next core of Verdugo, Devers, Bogarts, Benny Chavis. Um, you know as
3: many free agent pitchers as you can find.
2: Dahlbeck, yeah, you're hoping for full health from Chris Sale. Uh, I think the uh, a couple calls that Heim Bloom makes right away with this new financial freedom is to Devers's agent and possibly Eduardo Rodriguez's agent as well, depending on how he feels about Eddie. Um, and tries to get something done with them and i know that devers's camp has been very receptive to the idea of an extension um so i think that's something that is uh, a valuable piece of what they've opened up for themselves too because if they you know continued to stay so far above that third luxury tax threshold there was no way that they could really get an effective extension done with either of those players as long as they were at that place financially yeah. <coughs> so, I don't know, man. I have a lot more optimism. Um, you do, which is the exact opposite. Uh,
3: like, we, we had the opposite views during the season last year. Like, I still thought, like, deep into July that they were going to make the playoffs, and you were out on them after, like, May. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And now we've just kind of completely flipped roles and I've, I'm i already out on them and you're, you're still in on them.
2: <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is weird. Um, and I'll say this too. Uh, I've been extremely critical of David Price. And because I don't work for the team, I can say whatever the hell I want. Um, so I'm just going to go out and say it. I believe in my core that David Price was a hugely negative influence on this team i thank him for what he did um in the 2018 playoff run where he was absolutely nasty uh, i don't think he was like egregiously bad uh, in terms of how he lived up to his contract i think he was an effective player um but i think he was a clubhouse cancer and i think that he was negative in a lot of ways i know that people praise him as Uh, a great teammate. And I think he was with like helping young players like Eduardo Rodriguez and guys like that. But I think that he never really enjoyed his time here in Boston. And I think that his not enjoying the city also permeated some of his teammates. And I think that it had an effect of negativity in that locker room that I will never know and that we'll never be able to confirm. But I, for one am really, really happy that he's not on this team anymore because I did not like his attitude from the jump, I didn't like his interactions with that. I didn't like his arrogance. I didn't like anything about David Price in his entire time here. And I'm so psyched that he's gone. I mean, likability for me is a big thing. And I think one of the things we loved about Mookie was like, he was just a solid dude on and off the field. Um, but I'm psyched. David Price is not a Red Sox anymore. It makes it way easier for me to root for the team without David Price.
3: Yeah, um, I'm not sure if he was a cancer. I mean, like, like you said, I guess everything that we heard was that like he's this great teammate. And I we are right. I mean, he hated the media. Um, he was given every possible chance to uh, say something nice about the fans and never did. It seemed like he hated the fans. Um, he had, was incredibly critical of the city of Boston when he was with Tampa Bay. Which really begs the question: Why the hell did you come here?
2: Um, the extra money,
3: <laughs> right? But that's what I don't like. Why would you do that? Like, why would I don't? Maybe it's just me, but yeah. like I wouldn't take more money to go somewhere to be miserable.
2: No, <laughs> like, I wouldn't I just, either. And why would let you me do ask that? you this? Do you think so? It's it's clear that David Price and Mookie Betts had a pretty good relationship. If Mookie asked him straight up. Hey, David, do you think I should sign an extension in Boston? What do you think David Price would say?
3: Shit. I don't know.
2: I don't think he'd say yes. I don't think he'd be enthusiastic about Mookie Betts playing in the city. And I just – I have a feeling that there was a lot of chirping in his ear and that that's a big reason why Mookie didn't sit down and play ball. Maybe, but I also think
3: they had vastly different experiences. And I think sure.
2: the fans were much more supportive
3: of Mookie than they were of David Price just as a whole, and so I think uh, as maybe David Price was like, "This place sucks, and you shouldn't you shouldn't do like any of this junk." Like, I mean, he was out there bringing food like during the World Series at <coughs> like three a.m. bringing food to homeless shelters before heading off to L.A. Like, he cared about the community.
2: Yeah, and David Price didn't. No, I agree.
3: <laughs> so I think those the experiences that they both had were vastly different. So I'm not sure how much stock Mookie may have put in that response had he asked the question.
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's full speculation by me. I just I can't yeah. stop thinking about how much he hated it and how much influence he had as a veteran in that clubhouse and how that affected young players' perceptions of potentially signing extensions here. I mean, obviously guys who were as established and as successful and more accomplished, even like Chris Sale, what he said wasn't going to affect those guys And like Bogey has been outspoken in his own person since the jump. But I really do worry about the effect that David Price had on players like Benintendi, uh, JBJ, uh, Mookie Betts, basically the young crew, you know?
3: I would hope that because of the player that Mookie was, that David Ortiz would have uh, more of an effect on him than David Price.
2: I would hope so because I mean, no one had a better Boston experience than David Ortiz.
3: No, for
2: sure. I mean, that guy. That guy will forever be king of this city. Um, him and Pedro, those two are living legends here. Yeah.
3: By the way, that the boston accent honda or honda whatever commercial yeah the sorry your bigness <laughs> that, that was great yeah
2: that was pretty good packs itself <laughs> look who's got smart pack um all right so some some questions before we wrap up here
3: oh, um get Ver- questions
2: verdugo Oh, you have these are just questions I've prepared. We're going to get to you listeners later. We're going to record another one of these things Sunday. Yeah. Um, will Verdugo lead off for this team? Do you think it's going to be him or do you think it's going to be Benintendi? Or who do you think it's going to be?
3: Yeah, so I was actually trying to put together what I thought the lineup would be. And that was actually something. Um, Verdugo actually hit in the two hole more for the Dodgers than he did in the leadoff position. And Benintendi hit lead off more for the Red Sox than he did. Um, in any other positions. So my guess was Benintendi first, Verdugo second. Um, I'm trying to stall and pull up, uh, my stupid Google sheet where I did all this junk. Uh, I think I had Bogarts, then JD, then Devers. This thing can load.
2: Um, so you have Devers hitting fifth, huh?
3: Yeah, I did. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean the the first five are pretty loaded. So yeah, I had Benintendi for Dugo, Bogarts third, Martinez fourth, Devers fifth, then Moreland, Chavis, uh, Vasquez, and Bradley Jr.
2: That's interesting. I remember Benintendi looking very uncomfortable in the leadoff spot last year. So I'm not sure that that's the best way jumpstart him and he's a player that obviously with Mookie gone now you're going to rely on his bat a lot more and you're going to look for him to get back on track yeah. I would be worried as the manager of whoever the hell the manager is we don't have a manager yet <laughs> I but I'd say, be what manager <laughs> I'd be really worried about putting him in the leadoff spot I kind of like him in the fifth spot Um behind I have Verdugo leading off Rafael Devers hitting second bogey third JD uh, in the fourth fourth spot, and then Benintendi fifth, just to kind of keep pressure off him and let him get going.
3: You know, javis uh, hit leadoff there for a couple games.
2: It's not a bad call.
3: Yeah, let's, let's get my man out there. Let's get those yeah. muscles.
2: Yeah, it's going to be interesting, though, because uh, both of those guys definitely have the, the skill set, and I think what's really attractive about Verdugo is the high contact rate, low strikeout rate, good eye at the plate. I mean, he seems like a natural fit there. Um, We talked a little bit about the Red Sox fifth starter. Um, Yeah, I mean, I guess that's it. My my question, I guess, kind of remains, how do you think they manage the position of first base and second base between Chavis, Moreland, and Jose Peraza?
3: I forgot about Peraza. I keep forgetting about Peraza until someone reminds me he's on the team.
2: Yeah, yeah.
3: well, my man's Chavis, obviously, so I would like to see him get as many at-bats as possible. But I think um, that I mean, Chavis, is, I think, is going to get as many at-bats as possible. I think he's basically going to be
2: platooned with both. Okay, so you think <clears throat> Chavis is going to play every day, and it's going to be Moreland switching out with Chavis at first and Peraza switching out with Chavis at second? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I kind of agree. I think it's going to be Moreland in Peraza sitting more often than Chavis. Yep. I don't think Chavis is going to sit very much at all. Because he actually graded out as a good defender at second base last year.
3: He did. Yeah. which you know, you know what else I hear? Surprising. Yeah. I hear he's in the best shape of his life. Oh, really? I do.
2: Oh, I love best shape of his life stories. Um, those are always great. Do you think Benintendi bounces back this year? Yeah, I do. I think
3: um he he just had some stuff that was so far off from I mean, I say his career, it was, it's three seasons, but he was pretty consistent in his first two years. I and mean, particularly with the strikeouts, it just all of a sudden jumped like seven percent, and that just seemed really out of character for him. I think he's gonna be able to rein that in.
2: I agree. I think Benintendi. Is a really good player, and I think we forget also that he's twenty five years old. I mean, this guy is just two years older than Verdugo at this point, and he's already played three full big league seasons. This is a guy people put seventies on his hit tool. Um, he's really good, so I think he'll get back there, and he's uh, he's getting close in his,
0: uh,
2: his close to his free agency too. I mean, I am looking at it right now. Benintendi only has two more years of control after this, 2021-2022. So, he's going to start making some strides if he wants to get that big contract. Yeah. Of
3: course, who knows? There might not be any Major League Baseball after 2022. Mm. Ever.
2: Ever again. Well, that would be sad. (laughs) (laughs) Sure would. All right. Well, I think that about... Wraps it up. Any closing thoughts on <coughs> the Red Sox uh, trade of Mookie and the fact that, I mean, we're not projected to have a payroll here for the Red Sox of $188 million bucks. They have reset and they've got a couple good young players, but they shipped out the face of the franchise. Great. Hooray. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's going to be an interesting year. That's all we can say. It's going to be very interesting. And I think we won't be able to judge this deal in totality until we see what what the Red Sox and Bloom actually do with that added flexibility. Right? I mean, like, that's going to matter a lot.
3: I guess.
2: I mean, okay. So (laughs) I wasn't expecting to do this, but what if – The Red Sox do pull off that amazing maneuver of both getting prospects for bets, resetting, and then signing him again. Obviously, this would be like a masterstroke, right? Then I will
3: think we've got Theo reincarnated in bloom. I'll take back everything I said. I will apologize to his face. Well, not that I said anything bad, but I will say good
2: things about the ownership okay okay we have that on record here we do you will say something nice about ownership uh and if they do absolutely nothing with the flexibility and start spending like a mid-market team i will take back everything nice i've said about the ownership so all right
3: there There we go
2: go. that's fair all right well thank you so much for joining us for this special edition of the podcast as i said we will be with you again this weekend we do hope you enjoyed this special mookie edition and uh next time.